The podcast is back. The podcast is back. The podcast is back. Welcome to the Valentine's Day edition of Just Another White Guys Podcast. For all the ladies out there. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of Just Another White Guys Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Dustin Jones, and happy to have you along for the ride one more time. I'm very excited about this week's episode. Um, our guest today is a member of the Skull Radio family in the Twin Cities up in Minnesota. And he is a former classmate of mine, a former uh, co-intern at KFAN Radio. Uh, and uh, his name is Ross Brendel. And we had uh, some of the similar journeys in terms of uh, where we went to school, where we did internships, where we had our first radio jobs. And, uh, you know, we've stayed connected through all these years and uh, excited that he uh, took some time to stop by the podcast and chat with us. So it's a great conversation. It's a long one this week. Um, It's going to get a little bit nerdy about radio. At the end, it's going to get real nerdy about Minnesota Wild Hockey. So I know you're all excited to hear all of my thoughts on all of those things. So without further ado, since there's so much of this interview to listen to, I'm going to keep it short here at the top. Just a quick reminder, make sure that uh, you like, subscribe, follow, comment, do all the things that uh, help generate numbers for this podcast, and I really appreciate it. Without further ado, let's go jogging. We are lucky enough to be joined by a first-time guest here on Just Another Why Guys podcast, a gentleman that I've known uh, for, jeez, we like it, 12 years now, something like that, maybe, no, longer than that, um, but uh, we attended the uh, same radio broadcasting school, we had an internship together in the Twin Cities, and I'm happy to have him on the show this week. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mr. Ross Brendel. Ross, welcome to the show, sir. The pleasure is all mine. Very appreciative of the opportunity. And doing quick math in my head, I have a Lakeville education from just south of the Twin Cities. We would be at roughly 15 years, I would believe, probably fall of 2005 to now. So yeah. roughly roughly 15 years. What do we get each other for a 15-year anniversary? Well, I've what I've gotten you is an appearance on my podcast. So... I mean, I don't know what you're getting me, but this is your gift. As I often, as I often tell people when uh, they uh, when they expect gifts from me, uh, I am the gift. Like you, people are just you know, I've gifted people with the, my presence. Is uh, the it, that is the present? Well, how about this? I am cheersing you right now with a diet A and W root beer because this is. Sober February, I have went an entire 
13 days without a drop of alcohol and only 15 to go because I'm too much of a chicken to do the full 29 days because February should only have 28 days. So Saturday, February 29th, I will taste the uh, nectar of the gods once again. Well, I will. But I'm cheering I, you. I will join. I will join you in a, and I will buck the trend. Uh, I will not worry about the bad luck. I will toast with water as I am also currently sober, but not for any benevolent reason. I actually am getting over the flu and uh, and just by coincidence have also not had any alcohol in February. Do you feel like? And we, I think this happens every year, but this year just seems worse. Do you feel like literally everywhere you go, somebody either is getting over the flu, currently has the flu, or is getting the flu? Yeah, it's terrifying yeah. It, right it's, now. Well, and here's the problem. My day job, um, I work for a large oil company. Um, super proud of that. And um, I work on the commercial trading floor, which is unlike any other uh, office floor I've ever worked on, uh, any, unlike any uh, of the other office floors I've worked on with my company, it is a giant open configuration with desks eight across from one end of the uh, floor to the other, filled with people, and the chorus of sneezing and coughing and hacking and nose blowing that has been going on for the last few weeks is enough to make me want to bathe in Purell regularly. It sounds like you basically are in a petri dish. If you had to describe what is a real life human <laughs> petri dish look like, yours would be the flu just spread all over in that environment. I often joke, where I work at, we have basically viruses and germs that were there in the 60s and 70s are still in the carpet and the walls. So when I get the cold and flu, I don't know if I have the 2019-2020 version of the cold or flu if, or if I'm getting Bob's cold and flu from like 1984 that he left germs behind. And as, as a person that has uh, worked in the same building... Uh, and have been around those same germs. Uh, you don't you don't know whose they could be. They could be uh, Royces. They could be uh, Garage Logics. They could be rookies. They could be, you know, run the gamut of all the way down the list of of people that have have graced those studios uh, with their and germs. I, I'm imagining something similar to most office settings, but I I want to try and somehow describe this to people who have never been in the building that we're talking about, which is uh, Hubbard Broadcasting, my current employer and, and one of your former employers. But just picture any office setting where every level to some degree, and I say this nicely, it's not to put the place down. It's actually a really cool building and, and a historic building if you're a history nerd like me. But it's just always a little... It's not as bright inside as it is outside. There's next to zero windows you could actually open to get air in and out. So you just wonder what the air you are breathing. It, it's just, uh, I, I'm actually, I, I just shivered in my chair talking about it. <laughs> I'm not, I, I really am not a, 
massive germaphobe, but I would tell people I'm a mild germaphobe. I'll share food with people. I might share a drink. I get more weirded out by touching, like, the escalator at Mall of America. Like, that's the type of germs where I think, okay, well, I don't know who touched this, and I don't know when it's last been cleaned. That's the stuff that, that weirds me out more than just... It's, the, it's not the people that I know, my man. It's the people that I don't know that terrify me. Yeah, uh, 100%. And I find that as I get older, it gets worse. I uh, For the longest time, I subscribe to the uh, the George Carlin theory on germs. Um, you know, if, if I see food on the ground, I pick it up, I eat it. You know, I don't care if I'm in Times Square or I'm in Calcutta on... New Year's Day after a big softball match, you know, a football match, you know, I'm, you know, just, you know, we were, I believe the joke is uh, they went swimming in the Hudson River uh, and were tempered in raw shit. And so his, uh, his immune system was equipped with uh, ballistic missile defenses and he didn't really worry about that sort of stuff. So for a really long time, I, you know, I I wanted to believe that I had the uh, internal strength that uh, George Carlin also possessed and, and liked to believe that. But I find as I get older, well, uh, I'm more and more creeped out by germs, and I also get sick more often. But then we all know the opposite guy, right? One, one of my uh, good friends is the opposite guy, where he touches one thing, he puts Purell on. He takes 14 steps, he grabs more Purell. Right. He's the guy, he, he won't, I, I love him dearly, but he won't touch the door at like a public place. He leans in or he like elbows it so that of course I'm the mean friend that will say, Hey, can you grab that door for me? Knowing that he actually doesn't want to do it. So there, there has to be the fine line because I think most doctors would tell you, you want to expose yourself to some germs. Yep. I jokingly told him last weekend, I said, it's you and your kind that's going to do us all in with the super germs, not exposing yourselves to any type of bacteria. So I, I guess, I guess my thought on it is let's do our best to be clean and live a germ-free life. I, I, I still see it uh, from time to time. Do you ever go to a restaurant, see somebody in the public restroom, and then they, they leave and don't wash their hands? Yes. How is this still happening in 2020? Well, that is horrifying. That's, that's why we all get sick. It's not, because, it's not because you forgot to use PRL once. It's because Joe Blow at Applebee's chose not to use, use soap and water when he was leaving the bathroom. Which is which is why uh, most often when I use a public bathroom, uh, I use my uh, used uh, hand uh, uh, towel uh, to open the door. I, I'll touch now the that, do- I- I'll touch the handle, but I will almost always be using uh, the paper towel. So I fully endorse that. If you're in a public restroom, I fully endorse the doing everything you possibly can to not touch things. I don't fully endorse the avoiding touching everything when you're out in public, but the public restroom, 100% behind that. So you and I, uh, we both went to Brown College, uh, the now defunct once uh, great institution. Um, it was it was no longer a great institution uh, when we were there. We just didn't know it. Um, because everyone told us that that's where we should go. Uh, yeah, I, I know that we. I know that I had a good time when I was there. It uh, honestly didn't really um, set me up any better than uh, had I just went and got a radio job somewhere. Um, but I had a good time. 
Yeah, I largely liken or tell people that my experience at Brown, it was largely positive. I wish the school in some way, shape, or form, instead of outright closing, just went back to its roots as a traditional radio and even television broadcasting school. I I don't know what their financials were. Obviously, they weren't good. I don't know what their business model was. But when they were breaking off into being like they had a La Cordon Blue program and a, a criminal investigation program and a, a video game department, that just was not was not true to who they were. And 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 I know you know this having gone through. The price was astronomical, much more than it, than it should have been. To your point, it, I would say this again: it, it's definitely. I, I look back and say it probably helped me, but to your point, I think had I just literally went anywhere and got a four-year communications degree, I'd probably be in a similar spot. But I will say this, life's all about your journey, and you should really try and enjoy that journey as much as possible. I met a lot of great people and have a lot of great friends from that time and period in my life. So I try not to look back on it too negatively. When I think of the positives, I think about the relationships that it helped me create, not necessarily the schooling. And, and I don't want to dog any of those teachers because I know some still keep tabs on me. And it's, it wasn't really anything that they did or didn't do. I'm just not 100% positive to your point, how much more they taught us that we wouldn't have learned if we just showed up to get an internship or took a minimum wage job running a board. But overall, I would say as far as the experiences and the life aspect, I would think it's positive grades. And, and I think it's, it's sad for the industry that we're now at a point where there's just not many broadcasting schools left. Yeah. And I, I know, and I know that maybe there doesn't need to be, maybe that's speaking to my point of just get your four year degree but I do think that there's something to be said for if you truly know what you want, it's nice to have that option to go get an associate's degree or a two-year degree or a trade school degree to get in and out. And then, you know, at an affordable price. And then if it's not what you thought it would be, okay, well then hopefully you have some credits that will transfer into wherever you go next. In a perfect world, I'm hopeful that one day and maybe not in the too far distant future, somewhere in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Brown will reopen or something similar to it will open because I do think it has value and it's a it's a it's an industry that's changing so fast. It changes as fast as the technology does. And and I worry I do worry a little bit that the, the academic types might not be able to keep up as quick as they need to. But I guess that's neither here nor there, and really at this point, not my decision to make. Yeah, the frustration that I have is a couple things. Um, one, I, I definitely think if you had separated out the Brown College radio program that we were a part of, that in and of itself was a fantastic program. Had that been all that was required of us to do, uh, I think it, 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 I would have a different feeling on it. The fact that they sold us on, oh, well, we're working to become an accredited institution. Therefore, you're going to need to take a U.S. history and government class. You're going to need to take a speech class. Now, a speech class can be beneficial. 
uh, for radio broadcasting uh, in terms, you know, helping you, you know, speak and, and those sorts of things. So maybe that's not as bad. But, you know, they were talking about, you know, having to do math classes and, and all these bullshit classes. I think that, we, did, we took a sociology class, I believe, did we yeah, not? We took a sociology class, yes. Yeah, we did. That was... Uh, yeah. So Polit- Political uh, science. Yeah, I actually, you know, I kind of spaced that part out. That, you know, I... I, I 100% agree with that. I can't even add more to that, and I feel bad that I just cut you off. But that shows how valuable those classes probably were to me. And again, I'm not saying they're not important. If you're at a four-year college, you need to do those, and you should do those. I completely spaced those out. I forgot we even took those classes. Legitimately <laughs> spaced them out. Blocked them out of my mind. Forgot they ever happened. It's well, all coming back to me now. I remember. I'm remembering them, but I completely spaced that part out when i was talking earlier about the college i was only talking about the radio classes that we took and thinking about those i spaced out those generals that by the way to your point i think you were going down this road not transferable if i tried to go to a school now nobody would take them and not only are they not transferable but i remember them very distinctly every single month when i look at my bank account and still see the money that goes to pay for the loans that i'm still working uh, to pay off because of how expensive it was at the time and how uh, how many poor financial choices I made, not only directly during that time at Brown College, but then directly after um, when we transferred, when, you know, when I started working in uh, small markets and, and that sort of stuff. But before we get to that, because you and I had a couple of similar paths, um, we both went to Brown and, and, and graduated there. While we were at Brown, the highlight for me of that time at Brown was my KFAN internship. Uh, for those that may not yeah. know or not not familiar, uh, KFAN is the number one, now it's the number one radio station in all of Minnesota, uh, not just music or anything. It's the number one radio station. Uh, and at the time, getting an internship there was just the coolest. And I don't know how you felt about it, but for me, that was my favorite thing that I did there. Oh yeah, well, and, and as somebody you know in this in this market working at a station that does does very similar things at the time when you and I were there, where I'm currently at didn't exist in its current format, and that alone, going back to your earlier point about just getting an internship or getting a job, that alone and building those connections and working with the Dan Barreros of the world and the Justin Guards of the world who are who are still there as part of their their afternoon show. Building connections with those guys and who is my current my current boss and, and basically partner in crime for lack of a better term, Phil Mackey at Score North, building those connections and working with those people has been just uh, it's really tough to put in to put into words. I, I can't even think of, of the perfect word for it, but it, it, it's meant it's meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. Darren Dukey Wolfson, who was uh, with Chad Hartman at the time, and, and you know, radio. Everybody knows everybody, and ends up working with everybody. It seems in multiple different forms. Chad Hartman's now at WCCO Radio, but Darren Dukey Wolfson does. TV does sports for KSTP TV does some work for us for score North in the same building and being able to, I mean, Doogie and I joked about this recently. I had him on my uh, gopher show podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcast for the cheap blog score North gopher show, S K O R gopher show. Um, you know, I've known Doogie since 
uh, January 3rd of 2006. That's, that's how much that internship meant to me. I can tell you exactly the day that I started. It was the first working day of the new year of 2006, and getting that internship at the time meant, meant everything to me. And being able to, again, at cross paths with, with gentlemen like yourself and build on those relationships, that that, that even to this day has been, it's for, if you think I'm far in my career or not far in my career, wherever I'm currently at right now, I owe some of it to that internship. And I would be remiss if I didn't even bring up my first boss when I went to small town radio. I was at the fan for a year and a half as an intern and then part-time employee. And then my first full-time job, I spent almost two years to the day in uh, Winter, South Dakota. And if you don't know where Winter, South Dakota is, Winter, South Dakota is about as middle of nowhere South Dakota as you can possibly imagine, Dustin. It is halfway between Sioux Falls and Rapid City, and it sits just... Yeah, it, it sits just on the border of Nebraska and South Dakota. The coverage area of that time was South Central South Dakota and North Central Nebraska. So just think about how remote that is. I would take Highway 90, and it would take me, when I got on my 90, it would take me about 40 minutes to go from Highway 90 near Chamberlain, South Dakota, which is a beautiful little town in South Dakota, right on the Missouri River. It would take me about 45 minutes going from Highway 90 to Winter, South Dakota, through the rolling hills and plains of South Dakota. And at the time, I was not even 21 when I took that job. And I was out there until I was I was 22. And you talk about just culture shock and, and not being used to really that environment at all. You go from... I mean, geez, right now I'm sitting, I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm in a town of 55,000 people. I'm not even sure in our listening area we have 55,000 people. <laughs> At the time, Winter, South Dakota had 3,000 people. Everybody knew everybody. By the time I'd been there for three months, ever, everybody knew me. And when you're in small towns, I think you'll remember this and you'll know this. If, whether you want to be or not, you kind of become a celebrity. It's It's a weird feeling for a a 20 year old out of a radio school to show up in to put it kindly for as much as I love my time, just a middle of nowhere in an area that you're not used to. But I, I, this might not have been your original intent of where I'm going, but the two years that I spent out there, I look back on them now and I, I enjoy it and remember it more fondly than I think I allowed myself to at the time. My boss was great. The group that I worked with was great. The town welcomed me with open arms. It was just uh, an incredible experience, and and this business has allowed me experiences like that. Not everybody's cut out for it. I'll be honest. When I got there, I, I gave my boss a verbal promise I would be there for three years, and I only made it two. How I justified it to myself is I happened to hear of a, of a job that was available in the lovely town, and I mean that, the lovely town of New Prague, Minnesota. Well, I grew up in Lakeville, Minnesota. New Prague is literally 15 miles from Lakeville. And I was able to land a job doing news and mornings in smallish town, New Prague, Minnesota. And that was, at that time, a chance to return home and see family and friends and literally, literally work in my backyard was, was too much to pass up. Yeah, and I would say, 
that uh, your experience of, of moving to South Dakota uh, makes it seem like uh, my transition to Little Falls, Minnesota uh, as a giant uh, metropolis uh, versus uh, <laughs> your small your small town start. Um, but that's you know, and that's and that's what they told us. You know, so many of the radio you know, people that we worked with, and, and that they're like, you're gonna have to go cut your teeth at these small town stations and and that sort of thing. And I I only made it a year. Um, because unfortunately during that time, uh, my little sister passed away and I, uh, was living, you know, I was engaged at the time. Uh, but we, my wife and my now wife, uh, hadn't been able to, uh, find a job in Little Falls or Brainerd or, or any of those areas to justify her leaving and coming up there. So I would work five days a week in Little Falls and then go back to the Twin Cities on the weekends and, between that and then my sister getting sick, I just, you know, kind of stopped wanting to uh, have that drive to, to grow my radio career. Um, but, yeah, the, the small market thing, um, you have to uh, be willing to make some, make some strong sacrifices, both in terms of uh, your time, uh, who you uh, are associating with, uh, and also um, maybe some of your uh, own personal uh, political choices and things like that. I know that I had the um, unfortunate uh, circumstance to work at a radio station that uh, their big shows on syndication were Rush Limbaugh and uh, Sean Hannity that I had to uh, listen to uh, every single day, and that was torture. Even at a time, you know, 14 years ago, when the discourse in this country was you know, much different than it is now, the, those uh, two gentlemen uh, were not uh, a joy to listen to for me personally, but well, I, I think I think we're we're lucky <laughs> from the standpoint of look at what you're able to do and look at what we're doing right now that we really couldn't do. Heck, even five years ago, was it really easy for somebody to just have have a podcast like you do, where literally when you post this show anybody can hear it. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and I try and tell people all, all the time. And, and I'm, I, I think I'm lucky enough to work at, at score North now, which is uh, still KSTP AM 1500 here in the twin cities. We're really trying to roll with the roll with the punches and embrace the change because newsflash, we have to, there's limitations with AM radio. There's, there's limitations with all terrestrial radio, but there's more limitations with AM radio. Heck, new cars are rolling off the assembly line without even the option of an AM radio. So it's the old Billy Bean, fake Billy Bean line for Moneyball. Maybe real Billy Bean even said it, but it's, it's adapt or die. But what I think, what I love about what you were just talking about is sure you might not be doing the typical, there is no nine to five radio job, but you might not be doing the typical nine to five radio job, but look at what you're doing. You're making, you're making a decent income. I I would assume you're doing something that you enjoy doing. And then, Hey, when you want to scratch the itch of being a quote unquote broadcaster, you can crack the mic anytime you want. And I, I think that's pretty incredible. And I think as an industry, we should embrace that. It's a way it's probably, well, not probably, it is a way to find more talent and find more people. And it's, and it's not even just a podcast or a radio show. Think of all the influencers that are doing short videos on 
Instagram or even or even YouTube. Just yeah. think of how many people we have access to that we just really didn't have access to it, you know, in the mid to early two thousands and even into the teens, which is still weird to say. Right. The teens and now are we now are we what? Is this the is this technically the twenties? I told somebody jokingly when we hit two thousand twenty that this was gonna be the roaring twenties. I think that's already been done, but I don't know <laughs> I I really don't know what else to call it. But I, I, I applaud you. I have a couple other buddies who who have started podcasts and do them and it, it's funny because you'd like to think that it's easy, but it still takes work to dedicate yourself to sit down and do it. And again, not to, to, to pat you on the back and make this overly look at how great you are. If, no, if you could, if you could please continue to put me over, I would appreciate it. I, I mean, this is so far, this is my favorite podcast of the year. <laughs> I'll keep, I'll keep doing that. But what, what I'm trying to get at is everybody likes to think they can host a podcast and pretty much anybody can. What not everybody can do is do multiple of them and do them daily or weekly or even even twice a month. Everybody thinks a podcast or a radio a radio show or even doing something on YouTube once a week for a half an hour. It's going to be easy. It's going to be great. It kind of is for the first or second one until you realize, oh, well, everything I want to talk about, I've already kind of talked about. You know, not... Not everybody could do that. It, it takes work, and, and it also takes work to come home and do it. I, I, I know it. I, I literally left the business cold turkey because I, I was burned out, and for some, for some of the same reasons that you had mentioned. I left the business and worked for a great company here in the Twin Cities that I would, I'd still be working for today if I didn't have a great opportunity presented to me with, with a great group of people, and I, and I am enjoying the heck out of it. But I, when I left, I in my head I said I'll, I'll I'm done. I don't think I'll ever go back. Now in the back of my head, Dustin, I I knew with the right people and the right opportunity I would. I just didn't think that that would ever come along. So I consider myself very lucky to be doing what I'm doing. But I also know the volatility of the business. I'm I'm glad I got out and gave myself some other experience because. You just, you never know. I'd like to think that I'm, I'm home quote unquote in my professional life, but you literally never really know. I'm not anticipating thing. I'm not expecting anything, but you know, you know how that goes. No, nobody ever expects for, for massive change to happen, but I'm, I'm very excited with where I'm at and I'm excited with what we're doing and, and where we're going. But again, I, I applaud you. I know it's tough to do the Monday to Friday thing and then find time to sit down and, and, and do a podcast. I know I had some opportunities to do some things when I was out and I just, I chose for about two years not to do them. And then once I got to basically, I think I've been out for a full two years. I started working again. Saturday mornings just for what I call basically beer drinking money and, and extra fun money. And then that's where it was, it was kind of like the player that retires, you know, and maybe takes a year off, which I predict Andrew Luck will do. He'll be back at the NFL Ooh, before we hot know take. it. But you, yeah, hot, yeah, hot take. But you start, you start getting that itch a little bit. Then an opportunity presented itself, and, and I jumped at it, and I've been more than happy. But, again, Kudos to you. I tell people with everything, no matter what you're doing, if you like it and you're having fun uh, and, and you love it, in the case of a podcast, if one person listens or 100,000 people listen, if you enjoy it, keep doing it. And you, and you talk about the 
the massive shifts that that can happen in the radio business. I mean, I can tell you just from my my personal knowledge and my personal experience, I left um, Hubbard Broadcasting in, in September of 2009. At the time, they were uh, AM 1500, uh, and they were doing you know a lot of uh, more. You know, they were doing a little bit more political stuff, uh, and they also had Garage Logic as as their anchor. The, the four months later, uh, I had left. I moved to Oklahoma, and four months later, um, I hear, "Oh, hey, um, they just flipped the format. It's no longer like AM talk radio. It's now ESPN uh, Twin Cities." And you know, a bunch of people that had been in uh, those jobs and those roles for a really long time. Were, were moved out because they were going to uh, you know a sports uh, a sports format and and making a lot of changes and so you look at you know everything seems like it's 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 what it is now but you know let's hope this doesn't happen but you know Phil could call you in the office and say hey Ross um we're uh, the the station's going to be making some changes and and we're you know flipping to whatever and you got to either adapt or die like uh, like you said so. Um, the radio business is uh, is a volatile one, and I think, not to put people over, but I am a huge uh, Phil Mackey fan. Um, I think he's one of the hardest working people um, that I've ever run across in terms of grinding and, and, and getting in there and making a career for himself. The fact that he is, you know, leading the way at score at such a young age is... Uh, not something that's easily seen in the radio business. Yeah, and, and I'll and I'll give him props. Uh, Barrett Sports Media they keep tabs on a lot of things. They actually just put him. He was voted by other program directors and content directors. We actually call him. He's our content director because we do more obviously than just radio, it's yeah. podcasts, social media stories, and everything. But he was he was put in the top twenty for for a major market, and that's for a reason. As, as as you mentioned, he just grinds. He, he works his butt off. And as I told another listener recently, not only does he care about his staff, he legitimately cares about the people that are consuming our content. And I think that's awesome. And I've had the opportunity to now technically work with him. You know, we go back to the, he was there with us at the fan. Yep. And I was, you had left Hubbard, but I was at Hubbard from 2011 to 2013. I was doing a weekend shift. And then I was also basically the primary fill-in for morning sports updates or traffic for two years. And he was there, and he's ultimately uh, the, the biggest reason why I am back there now. So that, so that has absolutely been a blast. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think, look, a lot of business changes happen all the time. But in this business, it happens often and sometimes out of nowhere. And it's, it's going to continue to happen and the adapter die thing keeps coming up, but it's, it's entirely true because think about where we're at with technology and technology ultimately for a lot of radio can mean less jobs. So you better get good at adapting with that technology and that change. And, and I hopefully, and not hopefully, I do believe we are on the forefront of, of doing some of that and embracing more than just traditional radio. And your your earlier stint at Hubbard Broadcasting meant that you also crossed paths with one of my other favorite people in radio, Brad Lane, uh, who's been a guest on this uh, podcast previously, uh, now working uh, in uh, in Milwaukee. 
and, and trying to do some great things there. Um, you know, it's, I don't know. I've never worked in, in any other radio markets. Um, I don't know a ton of people uh, outside of the Twin Cities radio market, but that that's it's a market full of a lot of really good people that really care. They care about each other. They care about the product that they're trying to produce uh, and the content that they're trying to produce. And so um, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I was like, you know, if, if paths were a little bit different, I do, I do think from time to time, you know, what would have happened if, if I had, you know, still been in that market and, and, and what would have, uh, what would have gone down because they've, they've had a lot of really great, uh, changes, uh, all over the place. And, uh, it would, uh, it would have been, uh, interesting to be a part of. And I'm, uh, glad that I still have a lot of friends that are, are doing great things in radio. So, um, let's, let's go all, back real quick. All I could Oh, all ahead. I can say to you very quickly, all I can say to you very quickly, in the great words, or in the words of the great Canadian philosopher, Justin Bieber, never say never. Never say never. That's say. Hey, if, uh, if, if, you get, if you get this uh, in, in Phil's ears, and uh, he happens to hear, I um, am soliciting offers. Uh, I am open for business. So, um you you don't want to come back here right now. It is negative two as we currently record this, and it is dreadful. I was reminded <laughs> yesterday we did have like a negative fifty seven with a wind chill about this time last year. Yeah, it's it's not that bad, but this morning oh, it was brutal. You should have my car sits outside. You should have. The noises my car made when I started it this morning were were awful. I. I felt bad for an inanimate object. That's how cold those, it is. Those uh, those February uh, deep cold snaps, I, I do not miss. Uh, I used to uh, be a blackjack dealer at Grand Casino Malax, and I would work the uh, the late late shift. I would you know usually would, I would get off about three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning, and uh, there was a one February I remember remember very distinctly because. And I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell what the temperature was. If it was 20 below or lower, my car would not start. If it was, not, if it was, if it was minus 19, it would start. But 20 and under, no shot. Was this polar vortex year? Do you remember that year? What, this would have been... Polar, we, this No, this would have been like 2000... Two or two thousand three. Okay, I I remember a year where it was so cold. I was living with my dad at the time when my car wouldn't start because it parked outside at that time yep. too. We would have to like push it into the garage. There was a garage space available, and we would have to like put a space heater under the engine just so I could I could get the car to start. It's yeah, and there was a there was one of those weekends. Super Bowl weekend, I believe Super Bowl weekend 2009 was one of those real, real, it got real, real cold. Um, it, yeah, I, those, those, those are the, those are the parts of, of Minnesota uh, that I don't miss. But those, uh, those nice, those nice 77 uh, clear sky uh, July days um, are worth it. Well, consider yourself a trailblazer because maybe what you have done is change the history of your entire family for the next 150 years. I know you want to change 
topic, so I'll make this quick. I think of two things constantly. Why did my family just settle out east near Boston, Massachusetts, so all I would know in my early 30s is sports glory versus sports heartbreak of Minneapolis-St. Paul? Because, again, I vaguely remember the 91 World Series. I was only five at the time. I, I remember the hoopla around it vaguely. I remember being at houses, and it was a big deal, but I really don't remember anything beyond that. And the other thing I think about, this came up today, what were my ancestors thinking in the late 1800s <laughs> or whenever it is? I don't even know. When they survived even one winter of this crap, why did they decide to stay? Imagine putting up with this weather when the only way to stay warm was with a fire. It makes no sense to me. They were, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I'll, I'll give them credit. They're stronger people than I ever could have been. Well, well, I will tell you this. Uh, I had Norwegian ancestors that came uh, across the Atlantic, ended up in North Dakota, and some of them decided, screw this, we're out of here, and they all ended up in Oregon. So that will tell you that some, uh, some, an- some of our ancestors were smarter than others. <laughs> and well, maybe, you know what, maybe the ones that stayed, my, my, uh, my old man, my pops always said, well, the cold weather just keeps the riffraff out. So maybe there's something to be said for that. It's true. It, you know, I've, I like to think of myself as a little bit of a, uh, a, a, a traveler of this, this beautiful country of ours. I've uh, had the fortune of living on the West coast, uh, in the Midwest and, and now down here in Texas and, uh, okay. So, so if you don't mind, let me cut yeah. you off and let me ask you a question because I, I've thought about this before. And as much as I like to complain about this, because I can do the old complain just to complain with the best of them. If I'm being fully objective and fully honest, the reason why I'll never leave Minnesota or the Midwest occasionally, I think I could see myself living in a mountain town of like 300 people in Colorado or even living in Chicago. I can tell you, I can, I, can, I can tell you living in a town of 400 people and a little mountain town is glorious. I, I dream of going back to my hometown, which was very similar all to I, that. All I need is like direct TV with a thousand channels. <laughs> but here's, here's, here's what I was getting at. I generally believe this climate's fairly safe. I mean, what, how many times does a snowstorm roll through when I'm living in the seven-county metro area where I can't ride it out? Within 12 to 24 hours, I can leave my place and get to the grocery store. Yes. Other climates have to deal with hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes. Even semi-close to Minneapolis, St. Paul, you get flooding of the Red River. Occasionally, I have a tornado threat, and occasionally get a bad snowstorm. I don't have that high. This area just doesn't have a ton of that. But I'll knock on wood, even though you know the climate, for you know whatever reason, I'll 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 avoid the politics of it. But for whatever reason, the climate's definitely changing. But but for now, I mean, the, the climate here is it's fairly safe. Knock on wood. If, so if you can, you have a, if you can, if you can, you if you can get over the cold and the getting dark at four in the afternoon and being cold, 
Minnesota is a fantastic climate, but you have to sacrifice everywhere. Everywhere that I've ever lived, you're you have to take the good with the bad. Uh, in Oregon, uh, where I grew up and spent uh, my formative years, uh, you know, you had I didn't know any different, so I didn't know that other places didn't have forty straight days of gloomy, rainy weather. I just thought that hey, there's probably a lot of people that have to deal with that. Um, you know, here in, in Texas, you, uh, I, I, I will tell you this, the Houston climate, I think is my least favorite that I've lived in for the strict fact that, uh, I've never really gotten the nice winters that I was told happen here where, Oh, <laughs> it, you know, it's a lot of, um, sunny and 65. There's, there's plenty of 65 and 70 degree days and, I mean, we're going to have a 78, 79 degree day next week, but it's going to rain and it's going to be a thunderstorm and it's going to suck and it's not going to be enjoyable. Um, so from that perspective, it's not great. Uh, I do enjoy the fact that um, right outside my front door is my pool and uh, in about uh, six or seven weeks, uh, I can go and swim every single day and it will be fantastic until sometime between Labor Day and Thanksgiving. You know, so it, it's funny because uh, you mentioned just that that temperature and being able to do that. I legitimately, so it's supposed to be in the 30s here on Saturday. So the, the head football coaches, you may or may not know, or at least your listeners may or may not know, at the University of Minnesota is P.J. Fleck. And his big deal is is row the boat. And I said, ever since he's got here, the poor guy can't have a normal spring game. So spring games are typically sometime in April. He has had to move a spring game from a Saturday to a Thursday night because a snowstorm that literally dumped a foot of snow was coming. Last year, they had to move one from TCF Bank Stadium indoors to only the media because another like snow or rainstorm was coming through. And they may have outright had to postpone one. So he has he has not been able to have a normal spring game because every April when he tries to have it, there's just stupid crappy weather that rolls through town. And I honestly can't tell you when it hits 30 to or last Sunday, it was or two Sundays ago. It was almost 45 degrees here. I can't tell you if on Super Bowl Sunday, I think that might've been the day it might actually be warmer on that day than it's going to be when they try and have their spring game on April 4th. So you mentioned the sacrifices. We go through this weird period where pretty much any day between now and March or April, we're going to get some 40, 50 degree days. And you're going to think, Oh, it's over. Great. Here comes summer. And then you're going to look at the seven day forecast and the weather people are going to tell you, don't put those jackets away yet. 15 degrees and seven inches of snow next week. And you'll just go, damn it. <laughs> the, the one, the one nice thing that I will say about snow is that you can shovel it and get it out of the way. When it's 115 degree heat index and there's not a cloud in the sky, there is nowhere that you can go to hide from that. It is even, even the pool is not good enough. Yeah, and I, I hate the heat. I, I openly tell people all the time, if I have to have either extreme for how cold it is now, I'd rather take this because there's 
I can throw on layer after layer and stay warm. There is only so much legally I can take off <laughs> where I can feel where I can feel comfortable when it's that hot. Plus, this time of year, if it's cold, it's a perfect chance for me to stay inside and watch my favorite hockey team, the Minnesota Wild. So we're going to go back real quick to uh, when we both were interns, interns at KFAN. It's going to tie into the hockey story for me. And the reason for that is, as an intern, one of my favorite things that we got to do was go and cover sporting events. Um, I got to cover uh, Timberwolves games, which were uh, cool to, to sit that close to the court. Uh, and and do things like interview Kevin Garnett, um, but and the at, other th- and at the time at the time the organization didn't suck either. That's how old we've gotten. <laughs> it's been it's been so long. The Timberwolves were good. It, it, it was it was post their uh, peak uh, being in I think the Western Conference Finals or whatever that was. Uh, but they still had uh, the the air of they could do something because they they had KG. But I also got to cover. Minnesota Wild hockey games, and my in, the intern the greatest gift that that internship ever gave me was my love of hockey. I, I was familiar with hockey, but uh, in Oregon, hockey's not really a thing that people care about. And living in Minnesota, obviously, it's called the state of hockey for a reason. And getting to sit up at the very top level of the XL Energy Center and watch the game from that vantage point. Completely changed the way I looked at hockey, and for better or worse, it led me to the borderline obsession that I have um, with this hockey team, which, of course, anyone that is a Minnesota sports fan will tell you is uh, continually a uh, opportunity to have my heart broken. Thankfully, it's the only Minnesota team that I actively cheer for. I, I don't generally root against the Vikings or against the Twins, um, but I don't really care either way. Um, but whatever happens at XL Energy Center uh, definitely affects me greatly. What is what was your favorite part of being an intern? Uh, the the literally the exact same thing. The only thing I'll, I'll I'll say is I remember doing a lot of Timberwolves games and and Twins games. There's great stories I could tell about Ron Gardner. Same thing doing doing stuff with the Minnesota Wild. The Timberwolves, for as much as I love Kevin Garnett, what drove me crazy is it took him forever to come talk to yes. the media. So the game, oh, God, the yes. game would the game would be over, and I get it. He needed treatment. He was definitely, as you alluded to, definitely now on the back half of his career. But man, it took him forever to come out. And somebody who was working a job, going to school, and working an internship. Every minute counted, and every player would have done their interviews. Every player would have showered, and most would have left. And if you were lucky, that's when you would see KG. Sometimes it even took longer. But uh, definitely uh, right along the same path that you said, I, I it, it's it, the getting closer to sports and and just having more of an appreciation for it. I think when you think about what they do in the four major sports, major league baseball, a lot of group soccer in there and WNBA, if you're paid to play professionally, it really is interesting. I, I think at first there's, there's kind of an awe factor when you go into a locker room. For me, after a little while, that kind of wore off. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but you just start to realize that, Oh, I'm in, 
I'm basically in Zach Parisi's office. Oh, I'm basically in Miko Koivu's office. This is yeah. this is what they do for a living. The only thing that's different is there's more eyes on them and more people see it and more people can criticize it than me when I was doing a more typical nine to five or looking at spreadsheets. The only people I had to answer to were my you know, was my boss, not people paying for cable subscriptions or paying tickets to see the game. But I think it's just that, that appreciation and getting close to the sport and being able to see it in a way that's different from most people and having the opportunity to do that. I, you hit the nail on the head with, with XL energy center to this day. It's still one of the more beautiful venues in the twin cities. That press box was set up magnificently. It's a great way. It's a great way to watch hockey and just an, an incredible view. And like you said, I, I go to a fair amount of go for hockey games. It's, I was just there the, this past weekend. It's crazy how easy they make playing hockey look. And then you watch them play at the NHL level. It's even the worst skater in the NHL is a flawless skater and they make it look just incredibly easy. It's, it's a game that I can enjoy watching it on TV. HDTV, I think, has done a lot for hockey. Yes. But it's a game that, man, you just have an entirely different appreciation for when you can see it live. And to your point, that bird's eye view from up top where you know a split second before everybody else that more than likely this is going to be a goal or this is going to lead this is going to lead to a breakaway or, Oh, yep. This is going to lead to a power play because that's going to be a penalty. You can see it legitimately a split second or two before everybody else, just because of the vantage point. Those are the, those are the things that, that were great. And again, not to be too much of a sentimentalist, but just so much of, of being able to meet you and others. And that internship was just building relationships. And I'd have to mention uh, I, one of your guests who I know you have on a lot, I run into from time to time and not nearly as much as I should, but you know, even uh, our guy, Dana Wessel, same, same thing. I mean, just, yeah, just being able to, to create those, you know, hopefully lifelong relationships and partnerships. And, and again, Dana and I overlapped for a bit when I did my first thing at Hubbard broadcasting. So I interned with Dana and I worked with him and we're in the same market together. It's it's really cool to see his success and everything that he's done. The, the funny part about that is Dana and I were never close when I interned or when I lived in the cities. In fact, from the last time I saw him, uh, when he came to bring me a mini disc, yes, kids, they used to we used to record uh, audio on these things called mini discs. Uh, he brought me a, a mini disc to a uh, Golden Gopher basketball game. Uh, because I had forgotten to to bring one, and I think from that time until I saw him last January, when we both were in Las Vegas at the same time, we had not actually seen each other in person um, that that whole time, and we didn't actually become friends uh, until uh, we actually started talking to each other on Twitter. Um, so, I, but but he's she's literally one of my very best friends now. I have a very similar story to tell that fits that exact same mold of just how funny life can be. And even the the broadcasting industry in 2009, when I came back to Minnesota and worked in new Prague, as I I talked about leaving that job in South Dakota, every morning for a year, I did a 15 minute hit with uh, Carol Evans, Tim McNiff, who at the time was on their morning show. He was on Carol Evans sunrise. 
and Tim would do this 15 minute news and sports hit with me Monday through Friday from like 7:40 to eight, somewhere in that time frame. And I would talk to him on the phone every day for a year, never met him in person, going to other jobs here and there. I would always call him. I would have him on as a guest recently had him on the gopher show. Similar thing. I've known and talked to Tim now. Uh, no joke. I think I've talked to him and interacted with him via email, Facebook, Twitter, over the phone, text messages, uh, literally probably a thousand times we have never met face to face. And we even joked about it, that it would be so easy to end this charade and meet for coffee. But at this point, let's just keep it going. Let's keep it going as long as we possibly can. And as I joked with him, it's, you know, you know how this ends, right? right. We're going to be seated next to each other at like the most random restaurant, or we're going to bump into each other at a grocery store and we're both going to look at each other, see each other. And we're going to run the other way and act like it didn't happen. <laughs> it's fantastic. The, uh, speaking of, uh, locker rooms, uh, and I, I have a great locker room story. So after I had moved on, uh, to work in small town radio, uh, I was the, the news director slash farm director for little falls radio. And like I had mentioned previously, I would come back to the twin cities on the weekends. Well, as I had begun my obsession with Minnesota wild hockey, uh, I happened to look at the schedule and when I was gonna, I was gonna be there Friday night, uh, and I would leave on Sunday night. There was going to be a Friday night game and a Sunday afternoon game, I believe. So I decided I'm gonna call and get myself press passes because I'm not gonna pay to go to the game. I'm a media member, so I know how to act in a press box. I'll, I'll get myself some press passes. Well, I decided that it wouldn't be fair to just go myself, so I got a press pass for at the time, my fiance. And so I, I take her into the XL Energy Center. Um, it was great because they completely botched her, her last name. Her, her last name is not the easiest, um, but uh, they, they impressively botched it, even though I emailed them with the correct name. Um, but so we go up, and this is uh, the year that, so this would have been 2005, or no, no, it would have been 2007. Um, so it was one of the years where they were pushing for uh, a division championship. We're up there. We watched the game. And I'm like, okay, now we go down and we go to the locker room. Because I did exactly what I would have done had I been an internship at KFAM. Or had I been the intern that night covering the game. I went to the pregame meal. I went to the pregame, watched the warm-ups covered the game, but I wasn't actually working. Like, none of this was actually going on the radio. And so I was like, all right, the game's over. Now we go down to the locker room. So we get in the elevator with everyone. We go downstairs. And I've been in this locker room probably seven or eight times at this point. And I'm very much a proponent of act as if. So when I walk into a locker room, I just walk in like I'm supposed to be there. And I have no compunction about walking up to whoever is being interviewed and listen or ask a question or anything like that. <laughs> so I walk in and Nikki is behind me 
And she's wearing her winter coat and has her purse over her shoulder. And she walks in and the first thing that she sees is Brian Ralston in nothing but bikini underwear. She immediately turns on her heels and walks straight out of the locker room. And she was like, I don't know why, but I shouldn't be here. This is wrong. And so she went and sat. That's, that's one of my most beloved stories with my wife is the fact that she saw Brian Ralston basically naked and decided that that's not something she was supposed to see and left. I, you know, I don't have a story like that for the Minnesota wild locker room, but I do, <laughs> I do have a story similar when I had a, another person with me from a station and somebody around us. And I don't know if this was a big deal in 07, but in 13, 14 or 14, 15, it was a big deal. And it is in most locker rooms for childish reasons, but don't step on the logo. I got yeah. to, I got to watch, I got to watch the, uh, the captain berate some poor unsuspecting media member pretty good because they, they had the audacity to, brush over the logo, which is kind of comical if you think about it, because the thing gets shampooed and vacuumed. But you know what? I, I'm i not one to mess with athletes and what they think works for them, but that was that's, as far as any type of barbs or brush-ups or anything hilarious, that's really about it for me. I was around I was around Gardy when he was ejected, and, and he was ejected like the third inning, and Two and a half hours later, he was still stewing and went off on the umpire in the post game after having literally seven innings and two and a half hours to calm down. He was still he was still a hot mess. I was around for one of those, but it, you know nothing nothing too great. I watched uh, I watched Mike Yo pound a few microphones. I Mike Mike's a guy I was convinced years ago when he left Minnesota that eventually he'd win a Stanley Cup one day. I'm willing to admit, I think I'm probably going to be wrong on that because I'm not sure he'll get a third crack at it based off of how it ended in St. Louis and then what they did after getting rid of him. But Mike, for me, was an easy guy to cheer for. He, he seemed at least, at least with the media, he was always pretty good and he seemed, he seemed likable. But looking back on it, he also kind of seemed like a guy who just, Maybe he, he said what he was supposed to say, but he only said it because he knew like he had read the coaching manual that this is what I'm supposed to say, that maybe it wasn't actually coming from a, from a coach's mindset. But I, I, still, I still would like to see him get one more crack at coaching, and since it's the NHL, he probably will. Most sports, once you fail twice, you're, you're typically cooked. But the NHL is especially now, like even looking at Vegas, it's incredible to see what Vegas has gone through in a year and a half with coaching. And that's just, that's kind of become the standard for the NHL. If, if you don't make the playoffs, you, your, your seat is immediately hot and you may or may not have a job. If you get off to like a one in four start the following year. Well, speaking of Mike, yo, I've told this story multiple times on the podcast and I'm going to tell it again because my wife never gets tired of hearing it. But she definitely owes Mike Yo an apology because it is her fault um, that he was fired from that job. Um, we uh, made the trip up from Oklahoma. We uh, did a, a double uh, sports day. Uh, we went to the most frigid I've ever been in my entire life when I was at the Seattle Seahawks-Minnesota Vikings outdoor uh, NFC playoff game. 
where uh, Blair Walsh was nice enough to shank that field goal so that my Seahawks could uh, move on. Uh, thank you, Blair Walsh. I appreciate that. Uh, my wife uh, made the mistake of wearing the uh, cursed Minnesota Wild socks to the football game, which is why Blair Walsh missed the kick. Um, but then she had those socks in the hotel room, which is in the Holiday Inn that's kitty corner from XL Energy Center. And while she was strictly <laughs> for, while she was strictly forbidden from wearing those socks to the hockey game because she'd worn them to other games uh, in Dallas that we had gone to and the Wild had always lost, because they were in such close proximity um, to the hotel or to the arena, uh, when we went to watch them play New Jersey and they sunk out the joint, that was loss number one of the 13 in a row that cost Mike Yo his job. So um, it, it really the downward spiral of, of Mike Yo can be attributed to my wife and her selfishly uh, bringing the unlucky socks with her uh, to Minnesota. Can't let it go. Not going the, to. The one thing that I will always remember about how the Mike Yo era came to an end was that Zanin Kanapka had been tweeting with his bunny that Mike Yo yes. needed to be fired. Think, think of the crazy times that we are now living in where a player who had once played for him was now playing in another country, and I believe using Twitter with his pet rabbit, endorsing for his former coach with a bunch of his current friends still on the team, endorsing that the guy be fired. Crazy times. What other time on humanity could something like that happen? I, I did love the fact that um, he came out and admitted Hobby. what we. I, the, that I did the love that he, with Hobby. Yeah, I, I did love that uh, Mike came out and admitted that uh, what well, we all knew that that big blow up where he uh, walked out of practice uh, when KSTB cameras just happened to be there covering practice was completely staged. I, I did like that he admitted that. <laughs> You, you, some, you used a wrestling term earlier, you know, putting him over. That was, that was basically Mike, Mike Yo doing his best WWE, turning it on, uh, turning it on for the camera. It, it was fantastic. Well, we, uh, we're up at about an hour here, so we have a ton of ground we can still cover. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about, um, because it is uh, close uh, to me and, and my fandom, um, but as, as a member of the community uh, and also a member of the, the sports media in the Twin Cities, uh, the impact of the Jason Zucker trade uh, from the Minnesota Wild, which happened for those of you that don't follow hockey, uh, Jason Zucker was traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins earlier this week uh, for a first-round draft pick, a prospect, and Alex Galchenyuk. Um, what's, uh, what's the overall reaction uh, in, in the local uh, media there? You know, I think generally the overall reaction is I think everybody wishes him well. Everybody, I think, is very well aware of the good work that he and Carly, his wife, did and and will continue to do in, in the community. I think from a purely hockey standpoint, it, this was clearly going to happen. The former GM had tried to move him twice. So you, you knew that eventually... It just almost had to happen, even though there was a new GM. Uh, the GM I'm referring to was Paul Fenton, who had a very, very quick and <laughs> very quick and very brief run. And and Bill Guerin inherits a roster literally when the season's starting that's not his, and he needs to evaluate it. But the one thing that just seemed for certain was 
this roster needs some change up. The most of a return you were probably going to get for anybody that you could trade was probably going to be Jason Zucker. The writing was on the wall recently when he was demoted to the fourth line, albeit briefly. I think from a hockey sense, I think it's being judged fairly positively for the reasons you just said. You get to take a flyer on a player who may or may not be a part of the plan, but everybody's seen what he can do. The hope is maybe you can reignite that flame of the player that people have seen before when he was putting a lot of pucks in the back of the net. Then you're able to get a, a top prospect from Boston in a draft pick, albeit it's going to be a late it's going to be a late draft pick in the first round. Pittsburgh, but still Pittsburgh first not round Boston. Draft pick. Or Pittsburgh? Why? Sorry, because you're you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're 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 you flashed back to Charlie Coyle being uh, sent out yeah, of town. Well, no, and actually, I, I was I was I was also just thinking of I think did did Rolston come from Boston or was where was Rolston before he was with the Wild? I can't get Rolston and the bikini out of my mind. I think that's the problem. <laughs> I think that's and, the problem. Hey, that happens. That, to, that, I, that, I that happens to the best but, of us. Um, uh, well, I, thank, I mean, thank I can every time, every time, gonna... every time I've told that story, I can distinctly remember exactly what that looked like. It was, I believe, maroon <laughs> or purple. I I don't want to know. I don't want to know what that looks like. I want to. I want to keep moving on. And I mean, shout out, about shout the, out to Brian Ralston rocking that, uh, rocking that, those bikini underwears and and the six pack. I mean, that dude was shredded. <laughs> I think. For the wild, it's all about accumulating assets. I, I heard an interview with Bill Guerin over the weekend, and he basically said, "Look, I can't, I can't promise that more trades are coming. I can't promise that more trades aren't coming. But the one thing that he said, he, he walked the standard line of pretty much any GM. We're always going to look. How can we be better? Not only today, but how can we be better for the future? And I think." With where this roster is at, with Chuck Fletcher trying and moves that I endorse so many times to go for it and try and win a Stanley Cup, the cupboard's a little bare below the NHL roster. And if you have a chance to acquire first-round picks and maybe first-round picks you can package in other deals to either get talent to help you retool quicker or more first-round picks just to maybe move up and pick higher in a draft over the next year or two, I think you have to do that. I certainly don't think you know the Wild are at this point still a fringe playoff team in the mix for one of the wild card spots. I don't think they'll be adding any players from here on out. I think at best they'll stand pat, but I I still do expect some moves where you move pieces that that you can you know, and maybe that's even a maybe that's a Spurgeon or a Dumba, but it's certainly probably not going to be Stall. You need to get him to wave a no trade. At this point, if they're ever going to move Parisi or Suter and get them to waive a no-trade clause, to me that seems more of a summer deal than rushing something at the trade deadline. So I do think more moves are coming. I think if I was Bill Guerin, I would say this thing has run its course. We need to try and correct it as, as quick as we can and as much as we can, knowing that Kaprasov is more than likely coming over next year. That should help and reinfuse some life into the franchise. Well, but I mean, it just seems it, it it's it to me it just seems again the NHL's weird and, and I'll I'll let you get to your thought here really quickly. Anybody can win the Stanley Cup. You saw it last year, but it also just seems like if it was gonna happen with this roster it would have happened by now. They had six or seven cracks at it and it hasn't happened. It, it's 
it, it might not necessarily be time for a full rebuild, but I definitely think it's time for a retool slash reload. Well, the the nail that you hit on the head was was Kaprasov, and he is coming over next year. And, and, and there's no doubt in my mind that that's happening. Um, just reading the tea leaves and and his contract situation and the fact that he wants to play in the NHL, that's going to happen. And in order for that to happen, they needed to open a top six spot. Given this contract situation, who has no move clauses, who has value, uh, things like that. Jason Zucker is really the only person that they could move and get any sort of value. And and the thing that Bill Guerin did that was the thing that Paul Fenn was most criticized for was that he was patient and he waited and got Jim Rutherford, the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins, to come up in price, to give up the number one. I mean, the, the defenseman that they got in this deal, the prospect, is the number one rated prospect in their system. So it's not like just some kid that they threw in the package. Like, that's their number one prospect. Now, Pittsburgh is, is a team that has consistently gone for uh, the Stanley Cup and traded a lot, a lot of picks away. So their, their cupboard is, is far more bare uh, down in the prospect pool than, than the Minnesota Wild are. But this defenseman that, that they've traded for uh, is their number one prospect. So the, the, the big criticism of Fenton was, you know, the one-for-one, one, the Fiala for Granlund. Fiala certainly is is becoming a great player, but Granlund at the time should have had value worth more than a straight-up one-for-one uh, one trade. There should have been a pick or something involved in that. And we, we don't need to relitigate the the entire trade history of Paul Fenton, but this move, I think, signals that changes are coming. Uh, Bill Guerin said, you know, if he sees any quit, there will be more trades. Um, they, they are locked into a bunch of players. Um that they just can't move, that aren't valuable. I think the remaining valuable assets that they have are Marcus Foligno, uh, would be, if he was trained at the trade deadline, would be uh, a, a piece that a contending team could look, look to use to uh, add another uh, strong voice in the room and a presence on the back end of their, of their forward crew. You know, a big body can uh, go to the dirty areas, do all those sorts of things. But the other two people that I think could possibly move, be moved. You said Spurgeon. I don't think there's any te- chance that this team uh, trades Jared Spurgeon anytime soon. Uh, Jonas Brodeen, on the other hand, is a name that I would watch if they are given a offer that they can't turn down, which would be what would have to be for Dumba, I think, as well. I don't think they're actively. I don't think they're actively shopping them. But if a Toronto comes to the Wild and offers them a big package for Dumba, I think it's something that you certainly have to look at, given the fact that Dumba has regressed this year post the injury. Um, he, I think, was is fighting it a little bit in terms of the offense hasn't been there, which has in turn led to uh, so poor play defensively this year. Like You look at Dumba's numbers, he has not been good this year, and that's, that's a troubling situation. Now, it could be that it's taken him – time to get fully back into everything given the injury but it could be that's who he is now and that's a scary prospect yeah and i also think with with any of the moves that you you, you talked about for brodeen still so young it seems like they would have to be wowed by a package yes. i think they probably have to be less wowed for dumba but i also think both of those definitely include 
either package would have to include very similar to what they just got for Zucker. It's going to have to include a first round pick and, and probably a top prospect. And you mentioned, you mentioned the offense struggling for Dumba. That's a huge deal because he's never been the world's greatest defender. So if he's not going to be a great defenseman and he's not putting pucks in the net and he's not racking up assists as a defenseman, well, yeah, then your point, if you have a team that's going to swoop in and take him and you don't think he's ever going to return to being that player, then you probably have to do it. I have two questions for you that I'm dying to get your answer on hockey-related. One you'll laugh at. One I think is a great topic. Do I have? Can I ask you two questions here? I know you're probably trying to get out the door on this pod, but do I have time for no, two we, questions? We, uh, we can go as long as we need to go, and I love to talk hockey, so I will happily answer these questions. All right, here are your two questions as my, my pizza's nearing <coughs> coming out of the oven. It's, it's pizza night slash cleaning night. Your two questions take as long as you need. Does Miko Koivu retire playing every game of his career for the Minnesota Wild? And what in the hell is a Seattle Kraken? <laughs> well, the Kraken is a uh, mythical deep sea creature. Um, I believe. Uh, is this most... real? Is, is this is this is this happening? Is that actually the team name? I don't think so. I think maybe that's one of those uh, things that's gone around on Twitter. Um, you know, in the the uh, the interwebs as they Just... were. I don't think I, I saw. I saw a tweet that just killed me. Sorry to cut you off. It's a horrible habit of mine. I've done it multiple times. If we should put a buzzer on me the next time we do this, <laughs> so I don't do it. The the tweet that just killed me, and you may have saw this. It, it's probably somebody we both follow, or maybe it's a famous hockey guy. I can't remember who it was, but the tweet was basically: if you had told any teams of the original six that fast forward X amount of years the Minnesota wild would play the Seattle Kraken. They wouldn't believe you. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I think that, uh, I think maybe that's one of those team names where they, Hey, let's, uh, let's get a name. Let's register. A do- I mean, they have registered a domain, a domain out of the Seattle Kraken. That is true. Um, but I think that's probably one of those things. Hey, let's, uh, Let's get something that'll give us get us a little buzz. Let's uh, make sure people are still talking about us, thinking about us. You know, all the all our fans that are here in Seattle are 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 loving the fact that hockey's coming. But from a national standpoint, let's let's do something that'll generate a little bit of buzz for us. So I feel like they probably will not be the Kraken, but I think hey, you never know. It's uh, it's a weird time that we live in. So I think that's I don't think it'll happen, but I don't put it past any one to uh, make that choice. Uh, as far as uh, Miko Koivu, this is a tough one because post his ACL injury last year, um, he is not the same player that he has been. Um, he is still a tremendous leader, a, a great presence in the locker room, um, a teacher for the young guys. I, I think he has had a direct uh, correlation to um, the improvement of Kevin Fiala, not necessarily just in the sense of how he plays the game, but in get, getting Fiala um, to recognize that he needs to be present and engaged in the games. And when you know Miko or one of the other members of the leadership 
of the team has something to just something to say that he needs to be listening. And and I think that's, that's a huge thing. Um, I'm going to say that yes, he will play all of his games as a member of the Minnesota wild. And that's because he is going to retire after this year. And that was going to be my follow up because I got a feeling if he wants to play beyond his current contract with the Minnesota Wild, that there's probably, in a nice way, they're probably going to have to tell him that they don't have a spot for him. And I do believe if he wants to continue to play, there will be teams that that are signing up to get him, if not alone for the fact he's a face-off winning machine. That's the one thing I always said about about him when he, he you know you know this just as good as I do probably better he takes a beating in this town for never being a, a tremendous scorer but he's one of those players that does so many things for you that you just alluded to that never really show up in a box score that would be incredibly valuable to a team that is perennially a playoff team or a team that's close and looking to get there. But a part of me believes along your lines, he may get to the point and say, do I really want to go play somewhere else for a year or two just to play somewhere else? I mean, maybe he does. I never begrudge athletes. I, I always said for the longest time, Jerry Rice was the first one that kind of changed this for me. I used to think, you know, guys should just, Jerry should be done. I, everybody knows him as a 49er. Some will remember him as a Raider. Why is he messing with Seattle and why is he messing with Denver? But the more I think about it, this is what these guys know and love. If somebody's willing to pay him, just like Brett Favre, it seemed like he was willingly going to play as long as he can get a paycheck. If they still love it, they think they can do a job, then you might as well continue to do it. I'm not going to begrudge anybody for that. But there is something to be said, even making the comparison for Eli Manning in the NFL. I've always been a huge Eli Manning guy. I always said, if you want to win a regular season game, go get Peyton Manning. You want to win a playoff game, go get Eli Manning. Nobody nobody did more with less than Eli Manning. Nobody did less with more than Peyton Manning in my book. And I will say they are both Hall of Fame quarterbacks. But there's something to be said for me with a guy like Eli Manning, who could probably go start somewhere for a year or two, maybe hold a clipboard for a year or two, but just say, yeah, you know what? I've, I've had a good career. The difference is Eli Manning does have a couple championships to fall back on. Koivu obviously doesn't have that, so maybe he wants to cup chase. And if he does, more power to him. But I think it's it's fairly evident that if he wants to cup chase, I don't think that's happening on Kellogg Avenue in St. Paul anytime soon or at least in the next year or two. No, I, I would I would think that the two most likely scenarios for me are that he signs a one-year deal with the Wild and plays one more season. Um, if he is willing to be comfortable playing those third and fourth line minutes and roles, because the thing that, that would be important – I think could be crucial for this team going forward if they bring in a young center that that would benefit from a year playing with Miko so he can learn some of the tricks that Miko has in terms of winning faceoffs and and things like that. But I do not believe that he would be in Minnesota longer than one more season. I I but I don't I don't I 
I, I don't think he wants to go anywhere else. I think he will either be a member of the Minnesota Wild next year or he will be uh, retired and either choosing to go back uh, overseas or working in some capacity with with the Wild. So I, it, the summer, uh, yet again, this summer will be very interesting for the Minnesota Wild. The next summer for the Minnesota Wild always seems to be the most interesting summer because they're always, for the last literally half a decade, almost now pushing a decade, they've been walking this fine line of, boy, this is a this is a really good team, but maybe they're not truly great. The, the, one, that, the one that hurts the most, Dustin, and I'll, I'll leave you with this, the one that gets me the most is the second year in a row, maybe it was the first year, I'm already getting my years mixed up, where they lost the Blackhawks. They had, I think they had over 100 points that year. That, to me, was a team that felt Stanley Cup good. And to not, to, to at least not be in the Western Conference Finals that year was really tough. And I believe when we look back, that's going to be, that's probably the team that we look at and say, oh, they, they left meat on the bone. That was that was the team that should have at least appeared in a conference finals or maybe even, even the Stanley cup finals. And, and I just, it, I, this state on any level is so starved for a winner, especially with the winter sports teams. I, I'm going to get this wrong. It's my own stat, but I, I, it's my own stat. I don't even remember it, but Dustin, the two teams have been in the same market for now, basically 20 years, the two winter sports teams, the wolves and wild, They've made the playoffs in the same season like twice. Right. How how is that possible when literally every team in those leagues makes the playoffs? And these these two can't even make it in the same year more than a handful of times. It's that to me is just that's unfathomable. And in a state where we just need anything to do and pay attention to in the winter, can one of them step up and give us some hope? <laughs> that's what I want. That's what I want. I want it for me, and I want it for you, my man. Well, I uh, will continue to believe that Lord Stanley's Cup will make its way into the state of hockey uh, sooner rather than later. I continue to hold on to that belief, no matter how many times my wife tells me that being a Minnesota sports fan in general is just a recipe for disappointment and and broken hearts. Um, But I will continue to believe. I think that we're getting a game-breaker in Kaprasov. Um, I think people are going to be really excited. If people that are hockey fans have not gone and looked at some of the stuff that he's done, he's uh, the youngest person um, to have whatever it is, 130 points in the KHL. He's the He has the most points at the youngest age uh, in that league um, and is the real deal. And we have not had a game-breaking player like that um, since Gabrick. So I think it'll be interesting – but we have so much more ground to cover. We have so many things left on the table. You'll have to come back and, and join us again in the near future as we can talk about all kinds of good stuff. Before you get out of here, why don't you go ahead and you know plug your social media. I know you have a few uh, podcasts and radio shows that you're a part of. So let the people know where they can hear you, where they could interact with you if uh, they so choose. The easiest two ways, at Brendel Ross on Twitter, B-R-E-N-D-E-L Ross on the Twitter machine. Or if you uh, care about Minnesota sports, Dover sports at all, you can find us either just Google Score North 
or even score North Dover show if uh, Gopher football, basketball, and hockey is your thing. And I will leave you with this. Embrace the pain of Minnesota sports because it will make the jubilation of winning a championship in one to 150 years that much better when it finally happens, if we are lucky enough to be alive when it does. Thank- thankfully for myself, I know the joy of winning. Of course, I also know the joy, the uh, heartbreak of crushing defeat as a Seattle Seahawks fan. I have had a Super Bowl. Um, I should have two. Really should have three. We got jobbed uh, by the uh, referees in the Pittsburgh uh, uh, Super Bowl <laughs> a while back. Um, so really could easily have three. Um, but I'm I'm happy that I have one. So at least there's that. Hand the ball off, Bevel. Hand the ball oh off, God. Bevel. Never gets old hearing about that one. But uh, – With that, we're going to wrap it up this week here on Just Another White Guys Podcast. Thank you for taking a little bit of your time listening to this show. Uh, As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Dustin P. Jones. You can follow the show at JogPod. Email me, uh, jogpod at gmail.com. If you want to ask any questions or you want to interact with the show, we greatly appreciate it. Of course, you get this show wherever you find your podcast, as you already know because you're listening. But please, maybe share it with someone who you like and think would enjoy it, or someone that you hate and really want to bother them. Either way is fine with me. I just need the downloads and listens. I would greatly appreciate you taking that time to do that. We'll have more coming up uh, very soon, going to Austin for a music show. And uh, our good friend Hanson from the great state of Minnesota, an earlier guest on this uh, fine podcast, will be back for another round. So stay tuned for that. We're out of here. Always protect the five hole. Hey Ty, who's your favorite person? Only Dustin. Fucking right. Too much. Oh, that hurt. Oh, too much. Too much. Oh, it's too big. It was too much.